Dipsomania, the podcast about booze and cocktail culture. I'm Jake, and today Lance and I welcome our very first guest. It's a special episode all about sherry, vermouth, and low-alcohol cocktails in general. Let's get to it. and it really brought the color. Mm. I used a mix of Fino and Manzanilla. Oh, very dry. So. Whatever. Mm. I looked up the ingredients in, on the web and made it according to somebody else. Excellent. Ooh. According to somebody that's not Dinah? Savure. Savure. Oh, Savures. Yeah, that's Savour. all right. How did they say to make it? Uh, this is uh, an ounce and a half of uh, sherry to... They want Nuali Prat, but I don't have it, so I use Dolan. Uh-huh. And then a dash each of the Angostura and Regan's. Nice. With an ample lemon twist. And it looks yeah. like they actually call for Amontillado. It yeah. did. I've seen this recipe with every type of sherry possible, except for like Oloroso and Pedro Jimenez. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, basically anything kind of dry will will get you there. Um, anything that's not too sweet, uh, or more precisely, anything that doesn't have added uh, added sweetness. I found a a really good breakdown on sherry, which we can reference later when we uh, want to get digging into the sherry world. Welcome, Dinah. So we should Dinah tell folks, here. Dinah's here. It's so exciting. Our it's friend Dinah. Intro yourself. I'm Dinah Sanders, and I wrote a book called The Art of the Shim, Low Alcohol Cocktails to Keep You Level. Yay! Yeah. Um, thanks for holding up the book, Jake. That's very nice. Nobody's going to see um, that. <laughs> yeah, everybody's going to see that on the radio. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have a blog called Bibulous, a cocktail blog or a general booze nerdery blog that I do uh, with my partner, Joseph Gratz. Um, started that in 2008. And I just started collecting low-proof cocktails. And uh, before long, it was time to write a book. And so I did. And that came out in 2013. Got nominated for a spirited award from Tales of the Cocktail, but Excellent. didn't win. It was oh, a very wow. competitive year, so sure. it's very good company. And you continue uh, your sort of booze researchy ways, don't you? Yeah, yeah. My booze researchy ways have gotten even more researchy, actually. I have been really digging into trying to nail down when old cocktail books are actually from because sometimes there's no date inside the book or sometimes the date inside the book isn't right. Um, uh, and so trying to use my librarian super skills uh, and historian experience to work on that uh, has been my latest thing. So I have a thing on Bibulus called the Bibulus Bibliography, the Bib Bib. And uh, that is where you can look and see when which books came out when. And sometimes, uh, in many cases, for the old ones, find links to download a PDF copy. Mm, fun. So, Dinah, why, why are you doing this, Dinah? Why? Because it's it's needed. And, and but, uh, it's really, 
It's but handy like, for me. Do you remember what started you down this pathway? Oh, God. Who pushed you? <laughs> uh, I blame Paul Harrington. Um, so in the late 90s, a um, couple bubbles ago, uh, I was working in uh, web tech uh, with only the people who were weird and liked the web because there wasn't quite the insane money about it. Uh, I remember those days. Yeah. And I used to read a wonderful site from Wired's online uh, wing, Hotwired, um, called WebMonkey. Yes. Uh, and I, I would learn my JavaScript and that crazy new CSS stuff there. Um, and uh, on the same site, there was a cocktail column. And it was written by Paul Harrington. Uh, that later became a great book that they only printed a fairly small number of. And if you find one, you should get it, called Cocktail, a Drinks Bible for the 21st Century. Um, but he wrote great essays about old drinks and why they're awesome. Nice. And that got me into it. Yeah. Yeah, because he would get into the backstory of where did this really come from and why is this a great drink and how did it get broken later by other people. Uh-huh. That was probably still when I was shaking my martinis and making pint-sized pint mojitos. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get smart until like 2004 is when things really, really got started to change, I'd say. And you, by the way, you can still shake your martini if you want to. It's yes. allowed, it's but allowed. I will judge you. Not not a Manhattan, <laughs> no. Don't shake a Manhattan. They get frothy and weird. Yeah. They do get weird. It's a different drink. It's a very frothy drink. It's not quite the same thing. It's fine in a dive bar. But... <laughs> on on crushed ice with yeah. radioactive I say, red cherries. That sounds really good actually. One of my problems with the with the shims is I I drink I gulp them because yeah. they don't fight back. Right. Well that's why I like the ones that, that do fight back. So um, as background, I started trying to collect low-proof drinks that I could enjoy while I was out with my uh, large friends with tremendous physical capacity, uh, trying to keep up with them. Uh, and if I was going to have a high-proof drink round after round like them, or, I mean, a normal-proof drink, uh, that is to say something that's got two ounces of whiskey or two ounces of gin or something like that in it, I'd be dead by the end of the evening. So I had to start finding these legitimate cocktails that were satisfying and tasty and didn't knock me on my ass that I could either have instead or at least substitute in every couple of rounds. But most of them were, like, when you're first looking for low proof, a lot of them are uh, citrusy and kind of mm -hmm. too sweet. And and so I got back, digging back in these old cocktail books to find these classics. But a lot of them are from this era where it's, like, really dry wine flavors. And the dilution is a little high, especially if you stir them like you would a high proof drink and get a little too much water in there. So, mm. Yeah, it's a little easy to drink them fast. Um, then again, you know, it's not going to knock you on your butt as fast. If you, As long as you don't go faster than three to one. <laughs> <laughs> mm. We should say, for the record, we, we started this one off with the uh, bamboo, which involves dry sherry and dry vermouth. Um, like I said, I did fino half and half with manzanilla and i did a dolan dry 
And then I used uh, Cocktail Punk's Aromatic Bitters and my homemade Orange Bitters. Yay! <laughs> Go home. Fancy. Ed. That's fancy. What was yours again, Lance? You've got the... Uh, the Amontillado and the Noal, uh, not Noali, uh, the Dolan Dry, a shake of Angostura, a shake of Regan's, and uh, stir that up with ice and then stick a great big lemon peel in there. Yeah, I didn't have yeah. any citrus at all in my house, so I'm bare. Oh, very, very austere. Um, I But you probably have more orange oil flavors from that homemade bitters. Yeah, so. they, they have a nice blood orange punch to them so you know if i close my eyes and i guess even if i open my eyes it tastes a lot to me like iced tea mm. yeah the tannins come through from the um so that's uh it's going to do some of the same things on your tongue um with these dry sherries that you get from tea because of the well, wood i uh, i i don't know actually why it's in there. We, Dinah, then why are you here? You're the expert. Uh, Just make it up. Just make well, from, it up, honey. From what I know. Uh, well, we did get Rosemary Gray on. Yeah. She's the Sherry Fest gal. From she what I know from reading the Sherry book, um, ah. it's, it's the chalky soil in Jerez um, mm. that it really gives the dry flavor to the grape. That's great. So it's partly, it is in the wines themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I used um, uh, La Cigarera, or Cigarera, Cigarera, La Cigarera Manzanilla Sherry, mm-hmm. and I used um, a new-to-me Oregonian vermouth called Sacrazine, uh, fine vermouth for mixes or serving meat, no prescription necessary, the genuine article, <laughs> safe, sure, and pleasant. Um and it basically has a taste a lot like the Dolan Dry, uh, which I happen to be out of. Um, I, I uh, recommended the Dolan Dry in the book. so I have to say the Dolan Dry is my favorite dry vermouth. Aside yeah, from too. like, uh, I think Ransom makes a really good one. Mm. You know, high dollar stuff. But for, yeah. for day to day, I think the Dolan is just the best. Well, and the Dolan and the, the Norley Pratt are really different. They really are. Norley Pratt is sort of grassy and kind of weird to me. Yeah, there's drinks up, it's great in. I was looking at my my Amontillado, which is Hartley and Gibson, which doesn't sound very Spanish. <laughs> but I literally can't find anything online about who the hell they are or where they came from. But you can get it nearly everywhere. Right yeah, on. I think there's some old regular old English company that's... Because that I means sherry kind of survived with all those maiden aunts that were drinking their sherry every day. They basically stayed clued in while the rest of us forgot about sherry. But weren't they mm-hmm. drinking the and horrible sweet lady. stuff? Well, no, but they might drink. They might drink the dry stuff too. Yeah. Um, I did find a really useful page on sherry that um, that says if you want to just get the really roughest cut on understanding sherry, there is stuff that is. Um, biologically aged that is the yeast um, uh, it's it's aged under this yeast and yeah. that's the fino and the manzanilla it's called and the one floor that... f-l-o-r yes, the floor. And, yeah uh... when it's down under the floor yeah with only one o. and then the others that are oxidatively aged so no floor 
um, aged with oxygen, uh, and the Olorosos are like that. And that's when uh, you and get then, into uh, the Solera, like barrel to barrel blending. Right, where they roll it from barrel to barrel, yeah. Uh, and then the Amontillado and Palo Cortado are in between those. They start biologically aged, but then they um, lose their flare floor and they continue without that. <laughs> and then there's ones that um, that get sweet wines. This page was great because it, it says, depending on your source and the way they look at you, you'll find there are two types of sherry, or three, four, eight, ten, or eleven. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> depending on which thing you're measuring, right? But in general, you've kind of got the super dry guys from the pheno, pheno end of the spectrum uh, to the taste like booze made of raisins at the Pedro Jimenez end. Yes. I just love the weird nutty flavor they have. Mm-hmm. It's a great compliment to whiskey drinks, actually. So manzanilla is the is the driest. Is that correct? Uh, Fino, Fino is the driest. I would say Fino is the driest. Yeah. And then and then manzanilla. Yeah. Then Amontillado, mm-hmm. Palo Cortado, Oloroso, Pedro Jimenez, and then you get artificially sweetened wines, cream sherry, and the dulce. Oh, and Muscatel is in there between Pedro Jimenez and the cream. Oh, Muscatel counts as a sherry? Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> huh. I didn't know that. Uh, it's a it's a naturally sweet wine. Yeah. Hmm. Has anyone here ever ever actually had a drink of Muscatel? I'm, I have never. I, I feel like I must have, but I can't tell you anything it about it. It seems so. like the thing that, like, uh, like, comic strip drunks on the sidewalk drink. <laughs> that and, and night train <laughs> Mus- thunderbird Muscatel, thunderbird yeah, which i actually have had sherry. thunderbird i yeah. don't know why i had it i it was probably in i was in high school i think uh, i'm just gonna say that <laughs> and uh you'll drink anything any available thing and it's and it's like what five dollars a bottle or something it's probably cheaper than coke probably well yeah. i mean the sugar is the common thing there right Mm. Delicious. I've already, like I said, I've already drank in my drank. You already yeah. drank your drink. See, that's that's why I love the ones that are stealth shims. That you can't tell that they're actually super low proof. So, so we may it may be like the first six drink. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> me. Every fifteen minutes, new shim. What, <laughs> what is what is the proof on a sherry? Um, this one is, I think they're like uh, vermouth. I think they're like 16-ish. Um, hold proof on, or yeah. ABV? 15 on mine. Is that ABV or proof? Uh, ABV, sorry. Gotcha. Uh, so 30 proof. Yep. And then the, um, the Sacrazine. It's very stealthily written in tiny print. It is actually a fairly boozy vermouth, 17.5%. Yep. So, you know, around 16%, 30 proof. For the um, entire cocktail. like For the entire cocktail, yeah. Yeah, so you really are in a much, uh, in a much lower, uh, lower alcohol yeah. thing. And remember, it's the alcohol sugars that are sugars, so they are slightly lower calorie, um, which makes up for having a couple extra. Makes me feel better. <laughs> Yeah, and the and and the the so-called uh, the height of sherry was quite a ways back now, right? I don't know any of the history of sherry really. Um, did you get some of that from the book, Jake? 
Um, I'm sure I did, but I've forgotten so many things yeah. from that book. I'm, uh, I, we can make it up. I'm going to say it was back when uh, the the queen uh, wore petticoats. Sure. And rather than keeping dogs handy, she just had um, short white people. Uh huh. And uh, did, do now did they use they use the sherry casks for scotch? Am I I'm right in this? I know they, I am. They do at yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. Because um, that was um, that was the one scotch it was all about the sherry casks, right? And then they stopped using them, and people were like, "This isn't the same scotch anymore." Uh-huh. And now, if you want to pay a premium, you because there's not the that sherry many, cask. you can get the sherry cask because there's not, yeah. not. We need we either need to start drinking more sherry so we can have the better scotch, or they could just make sherry that they're going to dump so they can make better scotch. I think more people should have shims, obviously. That's the answer. More people need to low-proof it up a little. At least in my neck of the woods in Denver, um, sherry has really been coming into its own in the past couple years. Like, we're getting access to, you know, better bottles and seeing really good stuff come out. So I've gotten into it. Uh, The book helped, like, Educating, yeah, I, I, educating myself a little bit made me way more interested in trying sherries and, you know, learning about the different types. Yeah, even and, just getting a little bit of ingredient knowledge, it makes you much more willing to pick up a bottle and think I can do something with this instead mm-hmm. of, well, there's one drink I want to make that I know I could use this for. One of the other things that helps me is that the uh, the sherries are usually available in these little half bottle size, the 375 mm-hmm. liter. Um, and... Uh, it's great for trying oh, things milliliter, out. please. Uh, and uh, that that's really nice. Yeah, and they fit in my beer fridge. So that's <laughs> handy. Because yeah. keep your aromatized wines cold, everybody. Fridge. Fridge. Ver- vermouth, sherry. Some people even keep their Amari in the fridge. I don't. I keep anything under 25 proof. Yeah. I do. I keep, I keep that. My fridge is too full of liquor. Mm. Liquor things. Yeah. More than anything, actually, the entire top shelf of my refrigerator is bottles. Mix. I, I I think of them as mixers. So it's all of it's all of the vermouths, it's all of the amari, it's the kina kina, it's um, campari. I keep in the fridge as well. Mm. I just keep everything. The only things I leave out are the whiskeys and a lot of the sweeter stuff. And you keep your gin in the freezer. Keep my gin in the freezer and my vodka. One yeah. one bottle of vodka. You need vodka. <laughs> it's, you do. It's, well, it has an interesting effect. If you want to make a Vesper. It's a... Yeah, or you want to do anything where you want to extend, uh, anything where you want to extend the high proof and not extend the flavor. Sure. That's what vodka is handy for, and that's Splash what it's doing in a Vesper. So, it's like, so that's like making an anti-shim. <laughs> well. I mean, it's you're usually substituting out. Like so, in the Vesper, you're you're taking what could be a big gin drink, right? It's mm-hmm. basically a double martini. Yeah. Um, and you're taking out some of the gin flavor and replacing it with a neutral alcohol at the same proof as the gin. Right. And I will stipulate that I think the Vesper is a pretty horrible drink, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like a Vesper. I, I do too. I think the Vesper is tasty, but you can like make it really badly, and and then it's not worth your time. Yeah, like so many like, drinks. If you go to a bar and you don't see something kind of low proof on the menu, and I'm I'm 
willing to bet that most people wouldn't recognize it even if they saw it, but like, what would be a reliable cocktail that would fall into the shim category that pretty much any bar would be able to make for you? It's really hard to um, to find them on menu most places. It's really sad. A lot of places don't don't have one thing you can uh, just have mm-hmm. low proof that's right in there with everything else. But if you think about any brunch drink, uh, in fact, most of the holiday party drinks too. So like the champagne cocktail, mm-hmm. um, which is basically a champagne old fashioned. Um, it is you know sugar bitters spirit in this case champagne yeah um it and and a twist um uh any anything that's a juice and wine juice and soda and a little bit of uh of something else you know those kind of things are often there um you'll also find uh uh you can have any amaro on the rocks Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe with a splash of soda if it's too bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get Campari and soda uh, if they have time and uh, and you're sitting at the bar. You can get an Amar- Americano cocktail, um, but don't ask a waiter to bring you an Americano cocktail because <laughs> you'll really get coffee. Espresso. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, the I, Americano I, espresso is your problem. It's it's really funny because. I've ordered Americanos and, you know, bari bars, like real life cocktail bars and yeah. been told like, oh, we don't have an espresso machine. I was like, no, 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 no. An Americano cocktail. It's vermouth and Campari with soda. Yeah. My usual order is an Americano <laughs> cocktail, you know, like a Negroni, but with soda water instead of gin. All one thing. That's, yeah. that's the name of the drink. <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing that I watch for is... Um, if I want to go low proof and there's no low proof listed on the menu, um, if, and it doesn't seem like a place where I can ask the bartender for a low proof drink, or if I ask, they seem kind of it's uh, lost, mm. is I'll look at the descriptions for the other drinks and look for those those mixers, look for those ingredients that I want, and then um, and then ask for them. So if you noticed that there was a dry sherry, included in another drink you know they're going to have dry vermouth because they have to make martinis so you can walk someone through a bamboo it's equal parts right you know 50 50 dash of orange dash of of ango and and that's a a bamboo easy peasy Um, Um, yeah it is easy peasy and also you can always invert a classic like you can invert a manhattan and make it mostly vermouth right with yeah do it do it uh two parts vermouth to one part whiskey and the same thing with um the same thing with the uh the martini although the martini as a 50 50 is just gorgeous the julia child martini or the 50 50 um the one thing i I would say about uh any of those ones where you're talking about inverting a drink is that's that's how most of them started if you look at their first appearance in cocktail books the dominant ingredient is usually the vermouth because it was hot. It was the new thing. Everybody wanted to actually be tasting it. They're paying attention to it. And then over time, it evened out and then finally, and then flipped, um, whether, you know, sometime in the early 20th century. And then just became the super dry martini where you would salute your bottle of vermouth and that was the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> That is a mm. glass of cold gin, and you should just have <laughs> the balls to order it like that, if yes. that's what you want. Exactly. 
Give me nothing wrong with give that. Give me a bowl of olives and a glass of gin. Thank you. <laughs> mm. I'm sure that that could, yeah, like especially if served in like a little little kitty bowl. Mm-hmm. Would I would do that. Yeah. that would, that's like I now have my Christmas planned out for me. <laughs> <laughs> especially with that four pillars gin. That's delicious. Ugh. Ugh. So good. I that's just dangerous. Lance. Yeah. I need, I need to order some more of that and have it shipped to me. It's weird that they don't have it there yet. Yeah, I've been telling that's everybody I know about it so we can good. try to get it. Yeah, yeah I, haven't run into a, I haven't run into a gin, a new, because I do tend to, if there's a new gin, I tend to try it. And, right. and this, is, this is definitely one that I'm adding to my constantly in the freezer gins. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, I just love the bottle the and everything. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And the navy strength is works really well in a in a fifty fifty. Nice or fifty fifty, um, yeah. And it it'll knock you on your butt too if that's if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, it'll do it. So Dino happily. I I get the impression you don't consider the bamboo one of those sneaky shims. Like this is an obvious. Oh, shim. not at all. No, this tastes light. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely great as a first drink, especially when you had a salad for lunch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's <laughs> it is a delicate, delicate drink, and it you would not want to throw this in between having a bunch of like boulevardiers or something. Right. You want it, um, you want it when you have been in delicate territory. Uh, as far as flavor complexity, you could probably have it between martinis. Sure. And then yeah. at that point where you've been in this sort of austere environment where all you're getting is juniper to get um, something like this, where you've got all the wine flavors and the sherry flavors, um, it'd be great. I think it's a great drink for introducing a wine lover to cocktails oh fun because yeah. it's going to have that stuff they gravitate to those tannins are going to grab their mouth they'll like it um and it's a it's a cool drink it's history is cool so but it is definitely light so what's an example of a so-called sneaky shim something with amaro or well it can be some amaro drinks um i would say it's anyone where there's a set of things happening in your mouth that tell you that give you a in a, a false signal that it's it's high proof so there's a bunch of ways to do that one of the best ways to do that is to have um a little bit a half ounce of a super uh high proof not necessarily overproof but you know 43 percent alcohol right. Kind of ingredient um that has strong flavor so um my my favorite which has kind of edged the Manhattan out of the top spot on my my lovely drinks that I will make and have any time, um, is the John Cameron Mitchell. So this is a drink that was invented by Andrew Borer, a bartender up in Seattle. And it is two ounces of Carpano Antica formula sweet vermouth or Punta Mess, uh, uh-huh. if you haven't got the Carpano, um, and a quarter ounce of Ardbeg single malt scotch. Oh, wow. And you can substitute uh, Lafroig if you haven't got the Ardbeg, but the Ardbeg is better. Sure. Uh, and then a dash of orange bitters. You build it on a big rock in a rocks glass. Um, do a big orange twist. Flame it if you want. And sit down in a big leather chair. And you bring that glass to your nose and you smell the Ardbeg. And you get that 
alcohol scent. You get that smoky, complicated flavor. There's all that herbal stuff going on in the um, in the Carpano, and your brain tells you slow down. This is strong. Uh-huh. So it is extremely fine, and you can have three of them on a weeknight if you wanted to. Sure. Wow. Uh, so yeah, the it really pays to use the heavier vermouths for that. I'm sure. Yeah, the head, the more complicated ones. Like right. um, one I'm really looking forward to playing with. I just got Imbue's um, Petal and Thorn, and there's a ton going on in it. It's mm. it's complicated, and so I want to play around with using it with um, spirits that have their own complexity, but again, in that um, half ounce proportion. So uh, just to give the background, the shim. Uh, I coined the name because I wanted something to keep me level, to keep me from getting wobbly, and that's the name for those little wedges of wood you stick under tables to keep them from (laughs) tipping. Um, And there wasn't a word for this category of drinks. Um, There were lots of them known, but nobody ever talked about them as a category. So um, I looked around at what, what existed out there, and I didn't at the time see a whole lot of inverted drinks that really worked. I still see some, but those ones where you've got like three quarters of an ounce or an ounce of a, uh, of high proof, maybe an ounce and a quarter. Mm -hmm. That's where of, that's where you're at the inverted level. Shims are just under that. You definitely got some high proof spirit in there. Um, uh, or, or it's got, um, it's got uh, enough complexity to carry it. Like the bamboo is sort of the lightest end of, right. of shoes, I would say. And your um, rule for the, for the book is, isn't it like half an ounce of high proof spirit is sort of half your an ounce. Yeah. 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 So the categories that I would break things down into now, I would say you've got uh, no proof. Um, you've got shims, which is anything up to a half ounce of, uh, of, um, excuse me, you've got no proof mocktails, right. you've got low proof that are, um, uh, all low proof ingredients. So like, um, a black and tan, it's a good example of a low proof. It's all beer. Um, uh, you've got shims where you've got up to half an ounce of, uh, full strength spirits. Um, you've got inverted cocktails where you're sort of three quarters of an ounce to an ounce and a quarter. Mm-hmm. And then you've got regular strength drinks. And then once you get over having three and a half ounces of of uh, regular or high proof drink ingredients, uh, that's an overproof drink. That's right. a that's a super strong drink, um, and that's those should really be called out on a menu because they're going to send somebody on their ass faster than they expect. <laughs> like Lance's Navy Strength Martinis. <laughs> well, it depends on how big you make them. I mean, if you make a martini with three and a half ounces or four, excuse me, if you make a martini with four ounces of Navy strength gin, then I, yeah. Which I do not. I don't do yeah. that. I'm not cruel. <laughs> I don't want to see my guests falling on their faces. I just want them to enjoy a good drink. Um, and oddly, the I can't tell the difference taste-wise between the regular four pillars and the Navy strength four pillars when I'm doing a 50-50. It just blends so well, mm. and it's only after you're like halfway in that you realize, oh, I, oh <laughs> slow down. Nice. Yeah. Says, oh wow, this is this is hot. Yeah, 
But what that tells you is if you want the high, great. If you're trying to stay a little more level, you can use the regular strength and you won't sacrifice taste. And that was for me the big the big thing was to discover those drinks where I'm not making any sacrifices on my pleasure um, and I'm still able to maintain through the evening and not be sad the next morning. Mm-hmm. What it did for me is it really opened up a lot of new ingredients that I never considered before because I, I, you know, I think cocktails where I used to think cocktails were, again, like we were talking about a lot of gin and a, and a breath of vermouth or some fruit and something uh, whiskey like, uh, <clears throat> but then you get into the, to the shims. Um, and there are so many, like you said, there's, I mean, the Amaro family is literally hundreds of different kinds. Yeah. Sherry's is sort of the same way. There's there's a yeah. limited number yeah. of them. But once you get into it, as Jake said, there's tons of them out there. And and actually, I like I do like just having like an Amaro or a vermouth with a little splash of soda water just sitting, you know, next to me on the table as I'm watching TV or something yeah. because it's a it's both sweet and dry it's a little bubbly. It's a little festive, um, and it just and feels sophisticated. Like it, it yeah. and yeah, <laughs> and you're not you're not having a cocktail by yourself, which feels a little bit lonely and sad. But it's not. <laughs> I don't want to judge. Yeah, because I've certainly several times I'm watching something on the telly and they're drinking something and I'm thinking, oh, I want that with you. Yes, you're yeah. my friend. Absolutely. Yeah, you're my TV friends. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I like about the the bamboo, which I need another drink, so we'll have to do that yes. quickly. Is yes. um, I'm I I'm not a I'm not a tremendous fan of sherry by itself. Um, it has a it has a flavor. I don't want to say sour. No, um, I think that's right. I mean, I get I read it. It's not citrus sour, but it's almost spoily sour. Yeah, it's, it's kind uh, of which... a cheese funk, is how I. <laughs> But in a good way, like bad socks. Yeah, in a great, like yeah good, exactly. Like... <laughs> but, the, but the mixing it here, and, and I think the lemon peel is pretty important as well. Um, for me, evens it out, makes it a little bit smoother, and um, uh, ameliorates the tang a bit because of the lightness in the vermouth. So I, yeah. I, and as Dinah pointed out, you can get a small bottle of sherry if you want to try this at home. You don't have to go whole hog. Exactly. Um, and I was actually just reading that uh the recommendation as far as amontillado is it should be fresh Mm -hmm. uh after a year it's not good anymore if it's kept on a shelf it's not good anymore oh really and and, yeah and once you open the bottle um you should finish it off in a week wow yeah and that's where the sherry cobbler is your friend (laughs) throw it in a crushed sherry cobbler crushed ice um uh, if it's not, if it's a super dry sherry, you might want a little bit of uh, uh, simple syrup, just like a bar spoon of simple syrup in there, um, and uh, just fresh, whatever fresh fruit you've got, slices of orange, uh, not lemon or lime, um, but uh, uh, berries are fantastic in a sherry cobbler. Just a couple ounces in a big glass of crushed ice. Um, and berries all the way through. You can use frozen berries. Oh, so you can always be tip. ready to make beautiful drinks for people if you have a sealed bottle of sherry and a bag of frozen blueberries in your freezer. You can make gorgeous drinks that people will get excited about. And if you have a fresh mint sprig to put in the top, that is great. 
Shall I give you guys a, a quick note on the history of the bamboo, and then uh, and then we'll go on to the Adonis? Sure, for sure. So the bamboo is uh, one of the few ones where we really have a pretty solid idea when it's from and who made it. Uh, it was this guy Louis Eppinger, um, who was a San Francisco bartender who went to Japan mm -hmm. and he invented it at the Grand Hotel in Yokohama. And we know that he did it sometime between 1890 and 1900. So it's a really clear origin story um, uh, for that drink. It was, it was as this craze for mixed drinks was starting to spread around the world and American bartenders were hot and getting hired different places. Um, he was in brought to Yokohama and, invented a new drink while he was there. So if you think about this drink in the context of 1890s Japan and a hotel where foreigners were coming and getting, rubbing up against Japanese culture and then having this drink in the evening, it's kind of, it's kind of awesome. It's mind boggling is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you think about the sake flavors, Oh yeah, this drink slides over toward that sake spectrum in a, in that a pretty cool way. Mm -hmm. I drank a bit of sake last night at Rentaro here in San Francisco, so it's fresh <laughs> in my mind. Uh, shall we roll on to the Adonis? I'm ready to mix myself a drink. All right, see you in a minute. All right. thing i will say about drinking sherry in the middle of the afternoon it makes me kind of angry that i didn't think to go out and get some charcuterie oh no snacks would be nice huh i know sherry just cries out for some uh some cheese and yummy charcuterie and maybe some olives and some oh some toasted nuts and yeah it's <laughs> perfect for nibbling times Oh, those uh, Spanish almonds, the Marcona almonds would be yeah. perfect. Yeah. Perhaps uh, perhaps an oversight on my part. I should have made a, uh, a, little, a little stop over at uh, Fatted Calf for delicious nibbles to go <laughs> with all this sherry drinking. Okay, so round what two. What you guys do this time? Round two is the Adonis, which I consider the Manhattan analog where the bamboo is more like a uh, martini in my mind a little bit yeah 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 that works for me um i did some oloroso sherry mm -hmm. and then i used this new to me uh coqui dopo teatro vermouth and amaro vermouth amaro is what it's called uh it's great and then yeah. uh, my homemade blood orange bitters again. Great. Leans. I also uh, did the Oloroso, and I followed this time Dinah's recipe. Mm -hmm. So I used the uh, Carpano Antica. Um, I used orange bitters, but I also used the orange bitters that Diana brought me, which are the Fee Brothers barrel-aged orange bitters. Oh, fun. Uh, and, Is that uh, the gin barrel... Gin barrel aged ones, yeah. I think I uh, mm -hmm. I came back yeah. with those as loot from uh, Tales of the Cocktail. Mm. Indeed, and I I, I I didn't win. I'm very <laughs> I'm 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 chinzy chin chinzy 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 with those, uh, but it made a, an excellent cocktail. Um, 
And I think I like this better than the bamboo. I like it I quite a bit better. Yeah. How did you make so, yours? Uh, I did um, the El Maestro Sierra uh, Oloroso, uh, which is a nice little, um, nice little sherry. Uh, it's it's pretty, uh, pretty gentle. It does, and I think it has less of that flavor you don't like, Lance. Um, and I got the Alessio Vermouth Chinato, mm. uh, and which we were sampling the other night at um, the wonderful little neighborhood bar called Linden Room. Um, and uh, we tried some other Alessio vermouths, and they were awesome. And I, uh, I assume that's so, bittered somehow, like some quinchona or something? Um, yeah, so uh, Chinato is, um, is a... Uh, uh, aromatized wine that has chinchona in it mm. and um it's uh it's lovely and complicated um and i think it's nebbiolo grapes usually um so it's already starts from a really interesting flavorful wine base this makes a very dark drink oh, wow yeah it's almost black color is another thing that signals um strength mm. falsely but it's a way of fooling your brain into thinking you're having a higher proof drink than you are. And this is delish. Um, again, I just used the uh, Bitter Truth Orange Bitters and the Angostura. Um, but there's a lot of good flavor coming from the Vermouth Chinato. Um, it's not that different, frankly, from Carpano. But... Uh, this time, you know, you get with the with that Oloroso, you, you get that nutty flavor you were talking about earlier mm -hmm. that takes the complexity of the vermouth in a different direction. So it's really, I, I find it really refreshing and different. And because of the body, once you get into a, a, a heavy hitting sweet vermouth like this, it's it's got a satisfaction in your mouth that slows you down where the thinness of the dry vermouth, I find with dry vermouth, I, I tend to drink drinks faster. Yeah, just I, re I really appreciate the viscosity in a yeah. drink like this as compared to the bamboo. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I can really recommend this Dopo Teatro Koki. Um, yeah. So this is a recipe and enriched with rhubarb, chiretta flowers, and a double infusion of quinine. So, Ooh. yeah. It's really fun stuff. Where did you find that? Oh, at my favorite bottle shop, the uh, Proper Pour in Denver. Um, they always get the good bottles in. Excellent. Excellent. Mm. Yeah, this mm. is, uh, you can tell by all of us taking repeated sips, this is tasty. Yeah, um, I, I really appreciate the lightness of the bamboo, and it's a great drink, but this is just right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are times when the bamboo is exactly the thing. Um, and for me, it is often either that very first drink of the evening, um, especially coming right after work. Uh, so it makes total sense as a happy hour drink. Mm -hmm. But um, like uh, there was another drink that was sort of that similar um, light, airy, but with tannins feeling um, on the opening menu at uh, Brass Tacks here in Hayes Valley. Uh, they had a drink called The Knife in the Water. 
very delicate, elegant drink. I'm pretty sure the menu or the recipes online. Um, and, uh, and I loved it. I respected it, but it wasn't, if I wasn't in that mood for something really light that I wanted something with some mouth to it. Yeah. And, and so, and I, I'm something of a monster when I go to, uh, nice restaurants and get like tasting menus. I tend to, uh, stick to cocktails all night rather than doing the wine pairing or whatever. So I could really, I could really see having like a bamboo with your salad to start the meal or something like that. And then moving to something more like this, the Adonis with uh, my main courses. Yeah. 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 I bet this would go really well with meat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The sweetness and the, mm, yeah. Well, and think about this with like a, um, a pork roast or something where you've got lots of, where you've got lots of heavy, uh, rich meat flavors. And or then even something this... like a lasagna, like something like. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anywhere where you'd be having like Chianti. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is uh, this is a, a, a winner. Um, the Adonis, alas, we have slightly less knowledge of when it's from. Um, and where it's another, it's probably probably five or ten years older than the bamboo, mm. um, uh, mid-1880s. The thing that dates it is it was named for the first Broadway musical with, to run for more than 500 performances. But it was obviously a musical that ran on Broadway a long time. <laughs> uh, and so uh, at some point, um, possibly at the Waldorf Astoria Bar, um, someone created this drink and named it for that show. Yeah, that, that's um, literally how your book description starts out. It's possibly created at the Waldorf Astoria bar. <laughs> Maybe. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with a lot of this stuff, we do get new things we're finding all the time, which is one of the reasons I've really gotten into doing all this research. It's one of the reasons I have subscriptions to newspapers.com and to Ancestry, because... When I dig down, I can find old pieces of history. Um, Ancestry will find you those things. Well, like <laughs> one of so one of the things I've been doing lately um, that I've really loved doing. Uh, there's a guy, Greg Schuler, who has just come out with an app called Elemental Cocktails. Pretty little app, really smart selection of recipes. Um, no sherry not... cocktails, however. No, well, he's he's <laughs> building out he's building out the uh, vermouth amari category, but that's a good note. I will I will tell him we got to get some sherry in there. We definitely got to get the Adonis in. Um, so he's just getting started with it. He's got about a uh, little over fifty recipes mm. in, and he hired me to write the histories for each of the recipes and to make sure that they are accurate and uh, to the best degree we can. Um, And so I've got this teeny little amount of space, 150, 200 words, wonderful, tiny chunk of space. And I'm loving it because it's such a constraint. It's really good. So I'm digging in there in looking for all these histories. And some of them are wonderful nightmares to try and figure out how to write like the hot toddy. Mm. How do you begin to write about something as archaic as the hot toddy? And with no like, definitive recipe even like yeah. what's a hot toddy it's... right right it's very <laughs> it's very fun and and like fortunately on his 
app. I don't have the responsibility for choosing the recipe. That's his headache. I, for Art of the Shim, I had to narrow down to which one are we going to use. Uh, but one of the things that I got to do was work on the Vucure. And that's by this guy, Walter Bergeron, who um, uh, started at other bars, but ended up working at the Hotel Montleon um, and uh, in New Orleans. Which is the and home hotel of Tales of the Cocktail, right? It is. It is. And I highly recommend that everyone take a ride around a few spins at on the Carousel Bar at the Hotel Montleon. The perfect drink for which is a shim, the Grasshopper. Um, mm. Candy. It's just... <laughs> just um, but I was looking up Walter Bergeron, and I found Walter Bergeron in the 1930 census, and I found that on Ancestry. So that's where looking at those genealogical sources, you can find out more about these bartenders where we don't really necessarily have much knowledge of them at all. But one of the things you can start to track down is where were they living? What job were they um, claiming that they had at each given decade? And who, in some cases, on some censuses, who was their boss? So where were they working at those points um you know it's only every decade but you sometimes get good stuff huh. the thing i got about walter bergeron was 1930s or excuse me the 1930 census during prohibition federal census taker comes to the door the government man right comes to the door and asks him what his profession is and he says bartender nice mm. <laughs> it tells you everything you need to know about this guy and new orleans right there mm -hmm. i love it Mm. Ah. yeah it's a good drink isn't it, it really is I'm, d I'm just having a good time sitting with this one mm -hmm. it's... and i do appreciate that i'm not gonna feel the usual after our actually, actually after... go ahead lance i'm normally i mean we certainly enjoy doing our podcasts and we certainly enjoy our cocktails but occasionally on a sunday afternoon when we're recording and i get done uh, I don't want to drink anymore. There, and... there have been times. There have been times. Yeah. <laughs> three, we start... three full strength drinks in an hour and a half, and you are gonna feel it. Well, it's not only that. Sometimes we have a new ingredient, and we just want to like sample the ingredient on its own to try to get an idea of like where would this fit in. And so, yeah, we're doing cocktails plus ingredients, yeah. which we don't count. That doesn't really count. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. that's right. just right. research. It's like going wine tasting and spitting it out. But who spits it out? Come on. You're paying for that good? stuff now. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the, it's so it's it's uh, the tannins you mentioned. I you know I'm get, and maybe that's more of the vermouth than it is the. I'm not sure what what's lending it, or maybe it's the combination yeah. of both. Um, and I I miss uh, not having the orange peel because I think that would be just the finishing touch that would make it perfect. Mm -hmm. um, it's, yeah, uh, it's interesting. The Adonis the recipe doesn't call for it. Um, doesn't call for a garnish and I like it with that, which is why I think we should do the, um, the, another one after this and do the, the Duke sun, which is a great rocks variation mm. of the Adonis. Mm. I would have to fake the flamed orange, but I do have cocktail punks smoked orange bitters, which are awesome. Oh, there you go. Yeah. See, you're, you're, you're more so than well prepared. There. One of the things you were saying, Lance, about um, tasting the tannins and trying to figure out which ingredient it is, that that's one of the other things that I love about bringing these low-proof drinks into your repertoire is that 
you you start to pay more attention to those things that you are you've been using as mixers and so mm. then you're more likely to say well let me pour a little bit of the Oloroso sherry and the Amontillado and try them next to each other and see what each of them are doing. And what is the difference between these two different vermouths? And what do I think about it? And what yeah. do I respond to? It, it really, um, it really can get you excited about using a low proof in new ways. Which is exactly what happened to me when your book first came out and when I first got it. Um, for sure, the Adonis was the first drink I got excited about as I was working yeah. my through. Um, mm -hmm. But then because I started, you know, I picked up bottles of sherry just so I could try these recipes and stuff like yeah. that. And I started doing things like using a Fino in my perfect Manhattan instead of dry vermouth. Mm -hmm. And it's great. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bringing those nutty flavors in next to... Um, next to higher proof spirits you can just sort of draw out these notes it's in a lot of ways it's like the effect of using different vermouths i mean not different vermouths different bitters it's like the the way of using mm -hmm. different uh bitters as amplifiers for well, small and, notes in main, main spirits and you're not wrong different vermouths really matter and yeah you know it's like if you do Carpano Antica, or if you do Nolly Pratt, you know, it's like yeah, big difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, that's, that's why just like you said, try them on their own, see what it brings to mind and where do you think it'd be interesting to try it out? Well, and it's pretty much any, any, any kind of a, 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 a sweet vermouthy thing with whiskey is probably going to work. Yes. Right. Any kind of light, vermouthy thing or any kind of dry or bianco vermouthy thing or dry sherry is probably going to work with gin yeah yeah and we keep talking about this sort of like learning the templates and substituting and uh it was a topic of conversation on the most recent um not to give them free advertising again but the most recent speakeasy podcast uh southern teague uh mm -hmm. who we both who we all like respect and admire um, was talking yeah. about like, all you need to do is like learn sort of the patterns and like learn the Manhattan pattern, which includes right. martinis. It include like a martini is just a Manhattan with substituted yeah. gin and dry vermouth. Like it's yeah. the same. So learn the and templates. It's really unclear which one, which one is like, who's really first mm -hmm. in that whole landscape because vermouths came onto the scene and they just everybody went nuts for them as you can imagine and so they were making all of these drinks when you go through the old cocktail books you find endless variations where it's really subtle differences it's like well here's two parts sweet vermouth to one part dry oh here's an equal parts drink and we really think of these as separate things mm -hmm. because we're super tuned in to this new world of ingredients where now like in general people would say yeah it's basically the same drink right and you know using different vermouths different whatevers like you know i do negroni variations with all kinds of wild things any amaro on this under the sun i'll make a negroni with and usually they work out great. Like I love them. Yeah. But Kara Newman has a new book coming out. That's all, um, I have it. In fact, it may just be out. That's all yeah. new equal parts. Yep. It's great. It's fantastic. 
Oh, good. It's on my list. I'm getting it. Nom, nom, nom. This is just nommy, especially <laughs> with the Elysium. I think we all are like, I want to try your version. This mm. is the one problem of not being in the same place. But then we wouldn't have each our own set of bottles, our toolkit. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. <laughs> our home, our, we we all have ridiculous home bars. Mine so, got admittedly extremely ridiculous writing the book. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Who uh, wanted to recommend somebody wants if they want to get started with sherry, what should they get? I'd like start in a month. So, in a Montiato and a yeah. Fino, no Oloroso. Finos are weird. They're I think super weird. Like, They're weird and dry and hard to hard to reach. The the gateway sherry is Oloroso, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, and the gateway drink is the is the Adonis. There's other drinks in the the book that I call for an Amontillado or an Oloroso. And Amontillado is is really yummy too. It's got m- more of that nutty flavor. Mm-hmm. The Oloroso has that big round viscosity that's so appealing. Um, but there's so much that you can do with both of those, and they're so good as cobblers. They're so good, and that's just just refreshing and yummy. Big glass of crushed ice, couple ounces of sherry, and you know two or three ounces of sherry actually. And then just as you layer the ice into the, the glass, you can just drop those berries in there, a couple slices of orange. And, mm, mm, yum, mm, yum. Mm. So you can use any sherry for a sherry cobbler. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Although Fino is going to be, it's going to be a very different experience than an Oloroso because the Fino is so dry. Yeah, you like. probably want to sweeten sweeten it up if it's a Fino or even a Manzanilla. Taste it and see. Yeah. It depends. I mean, if you've got the, if you've got orange slices in there, maybe if you just... You know, press one of the orange slices against the side of the glass. You get enough orange juice sweetness. That mm-hmm, mm-hmm. depends on your personal taste. Sugar is super individual. Yeah. And do you have to crush the ice? Is that important? <laughs> I would say you have to have ice flex. That at least. I mean, it's great if you can have. Um, it, it, the the perfect form is the real cobble ice, where it's like little cobblestones. Um, because then it's not so thin that it all melts out really fast, like mm-hmm. like an actual crushed ice, like it's, a. Um, it's like the little pea gravel little... ice, right? Like... Yeah, yeah. It's like little, yeah, like little little pea gravel, or um, uh, um, it's just uh, small chunks, and they're pretty evenly sized. Yep. So they they melt at a steady rate, and then you have these yummy little bits to to bite on, and 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 you get. Um, you get this experience that's not like a slushy. It's it's uh, the flavor of the liquid and then some ice and ice water. And so you're doing that thing of going back and forth between um, water flavor, you know, the ice just melting on your tongue and then getting the flavor fresh again, hitting your tongue. Mm-hmm. That's something we've talked about a bunch, Lance, when we've been out drinking and eating at the same time is that thing of of having a cocktail where you get the rich flavor of whatever the food is or the fattiness of the food and then the cocktail kind of washes it clean and the cocktail seems fresh and then when you go back to the food the food seems fresh and it's sort of like getting the first taste over and over and over again Mm -hmm. 
The other thing I notice when we go out is that you have a habit of um, putting your water into your cocktail glass just to get the kind of a a, a sense of a cocktail with the water. So you're still having water, but you've got a little bitterness or you've got a little bit of the floral or whatever, whatever the leftovers from the cocktail oh, in yeah. your water. Yeah, so when I've finished a cocktail and there's just a little residue in the glass and usually the garnish, unless I've eaten it, um, uh, I will pour my water glass into the cocktail glass so that I just have more interesting water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it makes me more likely to drink enough water to not have a hangover, which is right. a good thing. Yes, I always try to alternate. Yeah, as much as as shims can be the more drink, less drunk, you do still need to drink water. <laughs> <laughs> you are still taking alcohol in you know it's like having glasses of wine although in a much lower volume than a glass of wine true and with much more control than a glass of wine in a way because wine from year to year and varietal to varietal is going to change um, where a cocktail you kind of have a little bit more control known quantities i guess yeah yeah dinah what was your biggest uh challenge in making the book I would say um, I expected it going in. I expected it to be finding the list of drinks. Um, it turned out to be narrowing down the list of drinks. Mm -hmm. uh, I started from, so I had all books uh, and and uh, I've learned uh, working with Greg on the app, all, all apps that are related to cocktails go through a spreadsheet phase. Yeah. So you've got your huge spreadsheet of all of these drink possibilities that you might use. And um, I had over 500 potential recipes to go in the book. Holy um, cow. Yeah. I narrowed them down to uh, about 300 that we tested. Um, and some of those I just tested and some of those uh, I actually had guinea pigs come over. I mean, friends, uh, Lance, one of them. I was one. <laughs> you were indeed. Um, and we, I would make, um, so we might have like four friends over and I would make uh, half or, or a full uh, version of the recipe and then split it among five or six people, you know, mm -hmm. depending if Joe was around. Um, and so I would get the feedback on two or three tastes of this drink just is this interesting to me it it had to be very interesting to somebody it was okay if one person hated it and one person loved it but if everybody was like oh, that's nice you know that wasn't good enough to be in the <laughs> right. book um and so and were, were you doing all this with your laptop open so you could be like okay so not so much and b minus and <laughs> um usually uh because it was small amounts. I was having to mix really fast. Mm. So I actually was, I would actually write stuff out on a piece of paper gotcha. for the, the drinks that I was going to try and do in a session. I think the most we ever did in one session was 27 drinks. Um, <laughs> so it, it was over a few months that we were just constantly testing. Um, one of the, the great, uh, uh, testing weekends, um, we had a weekend away with, a, another couple, uh, friends of ours, Derek and Leela, and uh, it was like, okay, guys, you sit and relax. We had a, a rental house up in uh, um, the uh, wine country, and it was kind of 
bad weather. So we were up on the top of a hill and we just stayed at the house. It was a beautiful house. And so they just sat around, lounged around outside when it was sunny, inside when it wasn't. And I would just keep bringing them drinks. Like, what do you think of this one? What do you think of this one? And so that was a very useful weekend. For and me. luckily they were shims, so you weren't destroying them entirely. Right, right. <laughs> and usually they were each getting a quarter of a drink. Mm-hmm. So I could, I could really slam them with a lot. So out of the recipes that made it into the book, uh, what's sort of the percentage that were like discovered classics versus like submitted or, you know, pride from a bar that you actually have? Yeah. You know, I don't know it in terms of percentages. Hold on. Let me look at the the list here. Um, So there's 53 recipes in the book. Um, actually a really good way to figure it out in the back of the book, there's an explorations, um, section, Mm -hmm. which is divided, uh, exploring by era is the section I'm looking at. So, um, I would say probably a third of the book is, um, drinks that are after 2005 or later. Right. So in the current old school innovation, um, era, um, and then, uh, there were a few, dating to just as cocktail drinking got its revival. Um, and those were ones I found as I was doing the historical research and talking to people about drinks that they like um, and will turn to uh, and and recommend for a guest. Um, I, I talked to a lot of bartenders pretty much the entire time I was working on the book. Every time I was at a bar, I would talk to bartenders about what's their favorite drink personally that's low proof, um, what do they give a, uh, a guest when the guest needs to slow down mm-hmm. or they're the designated driver and they want to have one and done um, and be on, on soda water the rest of the night, mm-hmm. you know, but they want something tasty. Um, and then everything else. So probably two thirds of the book is historical right. cocktails. Uh, and some of those are ones that were pretty well known and other ones are ones that I found digging through books. And then I have a few drinks that are just a, couple, a, a few drinks in there that are mine, two or three in there that are mine. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And the one that I would say definitely falls into that category we're talking about of the stealth, um, the stealth high proof, you know, low proof drink that feels like high proof is the fire breathing devil. Um, so that was a riff on a drink in Robert Vermeer's um, 1922 book. Uh, cocktails, how to mix them. And it's slow gin, which is uh, only something you want to use if you have a really good one. So like the Plymouth slow gin mm. or... Spiritworks uh, makes a good one, I think. Yeah. Uh, Driver Vermouth, uh, Carpano Antica, so equal parts of those. Mm-hmm. So one per, one part, um, one ounce slow gin, uh, half ounce driver Vermouth, half ounce... Uh, sweet vermouth and usually Carpano Antica, something with a big hit, and then a quarter ounce of Smith and Cross, which is an overproof Jamaican rum and orange bitters, and um, and then f- definitely a flame and orange peel because you really want that um, smoky orange oil flavor on the top. And it is another like the John Cameron Mitchell where you bring it up to your nose and you get that strong rum smell but it's not even a half ounce it's just a quarter ounce and it still makes your whole system say whoa this is strong 
Um, and it's got this great, uh, sweet, funky, um, thing going from the rum and the, and the slow gin playing together. It's a weird drink, but it, I'm really happy. Um, his was called the fire eating devil and then gotcha. because of the flamed drink. It became the fire, fire breathing. breathing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smith and cross is definitely a not fucking around rum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, d- I just want to say I've that... never done it with Ray and nephew overproof, but I bet it would have a similar. Mm-hmm. I just okay. want to point out that the uh, page for the diplomat is covered in uh, Angostura drops. On yes. My copy of the book. So that is actually <laughs> what I say to people when I give it, please get this covered with bitters. So I'm really <laughs> pleased to hear that. That is a sign of a bar book that's in use. Yeah. The diplomat is another fantastic drink. Mine's on Kindle, so I'm more careful with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah don't yeah. don't want to spill on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, but you could just wipe it off. I Get really like box, having yeah. bar books be actual books. It really makes me happy. Yeah. To flip through them and just discover stuff. Yeah, and just to be able to like have it open on the countertop while I make drinks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And not time out and go dark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, thing that doesn't happen with paper speaking of which my new favorite is the uh, sasha petrosky regarding <sighs> cocktails book it is just gorgeous every drink has these illustrations where it's just a line drawing sort of with symbols uh represent symbols in different colors representing the ingredients and the proportions and there's actually a bookmark that is your key to all the symbols Oh wow! <laughs> it it's just. I think it's on the way in the mail. After you recommended it, I was like, "Oh my god, that's so pretty!" And it's also and it's Petrosky, so well, the notes are going to be amazing. It's well, okay, so interesting. The notes on each drink. The introductory note is by someone who was associated with Sasha. Um, so it's not from Sasha, but it's like the bartenders that worked at milk and honey and his wife. And so it's a really heartbreaking, sweet book just yeah. from these notes. It's his curated list of drinks, but without the chance to have his notes on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Losing, losing Sasha was really sad. And, and it seems like, you know, it was another of those cases of someone where, the the industry um, has its dangers. It's very it can be very hard on the body to be constantly in this environment of party. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that was another thing that I was really hoping for with with this book, uh, of, of, with my book, was to say, hey, you can still be part of the party and slow down. Right. Um, you don't have to try to keep up with the hard drinkers because everyone's always going to have some reason at some time where they need to slow it down, you know, and maybe you just got over a cold, maybe it's a first date and you don't want to make an ass of yourself, you know, <laughs> or you're out for drinks with your coworkers, whatever, you know, or you just, it's been a, you've, it's the third night this week that you've been out with people and you want to be able to still be in the cocktail mood, but not get, get just wasted yeah and i i just really want to recommend bitters and soda to everyone because 
especially if you're in a nice cocktail bar, you can say like, give me your most interesting bitters in soda yeah. and you'll get something just, just fantastic. Yeah. And, and also yeah, and... we're entering party season and yes. these are perfect for, as you said, you're going to be around your fellow employees or your friends and, but it's a long season and it can be a long night and mm-hmm. make, making a punch or having a, a, a lighter alcohol drink is just is going to help you get through all of this. Yeah. Unless and, you need to get drunk to see your friends and then do you whatever can, you need. <laughs> you can have that's the thing. You can have the um you can have the strong drinks. One of the things that I think is great about shims is once you get to know your own tolerance, you can use high, uh, regular strength drinks to get yourself to the altitude you want and then use shims to keep you there. <laughs> nice. And not <laughs> Not go through, you know, through yeah. your ceiling. It's the magic carpet of cocktails. It. Oh, <laughs> I should have had you blurb the book. That's the best. Float along. Yeah, you just floating. I, the floating is perfect too, because that's how you you do want to feel floaty. You don't want to feel sinky and bed spinny. Mm-hmm. You you want you mm-hmm. want a nice you want a nice uh, not even a buzz. You just like that like you said. It's a floaty feeling. You're oh, just yeah. right. It's like when you're out with your friends, you know, shooting pool or throwing darts. You need a certain buzz level to be good at those games. Bowling as well. Yes, bowling also. You have to have, you have to achieve a certain buzz level, but then you have to maintain it. And, you know, usually with those, it's beer. And that's pretty easy to pace yourself with. But, I mean, if you can do it with a delicious cocktail, why wouldn't you? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and calorically, you're going to do better off with shims. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure you could achieve a shim belly, but it would take much more effort. Mm. Um, I'm, I finished my second drink. How's everybody else doing? All right, so it's time for the Duke's Sun. You haven't got, you haven't got a flame, though, so. No. I don't even have oranges. You don't even have oranges. Okay, we'll skip that. We'll do that. I, I note that for later. Do it another time. Okay. Do you have what it uh, what you need to do? Either the um, the uh, uh, fire breathing devil or the, um, the John oh, Cameron Mitchell. Fire breathing devil also requires the orange. Yeah, but you've got those smoke bitters. I think you could get away with it. Um, Lance, you could try the. Um, I wish I had Grand Classico. On- I'd do the haberdasher. Oh, yeah. But I don't, so I won't. What was the other I one? The do. John... Do you have, but you have Campari. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You I can don't... do it with Campari. Doesn't seem like the same thing at all. Campari <laughs> and Grand Classico? Yeah. 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 Oh, I can I can do a haberdasher. I have everything. I have it all. Got it all. Um, Let me see if... What was the uh, John Mitchell, what's his name? Thing? Okay, so the John Cameron Mitchell... Um, you're we gonna can want... all do. We can all do different ones as well. Yes, we right? can. Right, the third round. Right. Yes. Um, anything goes. Uh, so the the John Cameron Mitchell, uh, two ounces Carpano. Uh, half ounce or a quarter ounce, actually quarter ounce of Ardbeg. Um, and a dash of orange bitters. Okay, I don't have a really peaty scotch, at the moment, so that yeah. probably won't work. Yeah. Um, so, uh, do you have slow gin? Nope. 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 
Okay. Uh, so the other thing is you could play on the the JCM model, the John Cameron Mitchell model, mm-hmm. and try um, try an overproof rum. Oh. So try a couple ounces of a complicated, robust, super herbal vermouth, sweet mm-hmm. or dry, mm-hmm. and a quarter ounce of an overproof rum. I can do that. And a dash yeah. of the bitters that seems like it's going to fit. Yep, I can do that. Okay. Lance, what are you going to do? I'm doing the haberdasher. All right. Um, I'm not sure if I've... I think I'm going to try... Actually, I'm going to try a, uh, a John Cameron Mitchell with this Chinato. Nice. See you in a minute. You guys are fast. We are fast. Well, we, we you know d- who else likes sherry? Fruit flies. Yes. <sighs> Wait, they're, they're like they like breed in a second. I, you go out of the kitchen, you come back. They're every. Where do they come from? They're demons. Uh, anyway, they're demons sent from hell. Ooh, pretty. Cheers. 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 So you're gonna kick, get a kick out of mine. Oh, oh, oh! Wow, yeah. this is. This is not what I expected at all. The haberdasher? Tell us about mm-hmm. your haberdasher. It's sort of chocolatey sweet. And um, yeah, it's much sweeter than I had anticipated it being. I might So I might add a little more Grand Classico than, this, than the recipe calls for. Mm-hmm. Um, but ooh, it's very nice. Um, yeah. I could see this being a dessert drink even. Oh, interesting. Yeah. If you if you go to Trick Dog now, you will find it on the menu as the Trick Dog aperitif. But at the time I learned it from them, it was the haberdasher. Hmm. It's quite delightful. It is a lovely drink. And tell us about yours, Dinah. Uh, so I am drinking the John Cameron Mitchell and being reminded why it is my go-to drink now. Um, and Andrew has done us all a great service by inventing this. <laughs> um, it, it's just... It's lovely. You get the scotch smokiness. Mm. It's lovely. Um, it's uh, it's got the best of of the sweet vermouth coming out, but um, all of the spiky herbal notes of the sweet vermouth are kind of taken over by the scotch. So it almost brings out more of the grapey, mm. jammy yumminess of mm-hmm. the sweet vermouth. Um, I could just sit in a leather chair and drink this anytime, and I do. So mine is inspired by your drink, uh, mm-hmm. sort of improvised in my bar. And uh, so I went with a uh, heavy two ounces of that Dopo Teatro Coqui. Uh, Good. So a little bittered vermouth. And then just half an ounce of the Hamilton 151 Demerara Overproof. And half an ounce of Oloroso, just to round it out. Whoa. And then um, Cocktail Punk's Morning Grapefruit Bitters, which are uh, inspired by something that Ray, who is Cocktail Punk, um, remembered from his childhood where people would put uh, sugar on a grapefruit and then sort of flambe it, sort of brulee it, oh. and, and eat your half grapefruit with 
crispy burnt sugar on it. So that's the flavor profile of these bitters. So this drink is delicious. <laughs> Yay! Mm. I uh, I am sorry that I haven't got what it takes to reproduce that. That is sounds fantastic. And I will I tell you, just a half ounce of that 151, this seems like it's going to light you on fire. This, this drink seems really hot when you bring it to your face, but then it's just easy and smooth when you drink it. Yeah, it finishes really gently, but the nose is, whoa, slow down. Mm-hmm. The, these, like that combo of couple ounces, you know, two to three ounces low proof and around a half ounce of, of regular proof or overproof, it's a magic spot. I think it's, a, I think it's actually a new pattern, um, and I'm really wishing that more bartenders would explore it because it is, it is a great best of both worlds. Yeah, you, know, I, you get I, that full strong drink feeling. I will say this uh, Hamilton 151 is bonkers rum. It's uh, <laughs> it's from Guyana, um, and it's it's the stuff you put in the uh, lime cup and light on fire for your tiki drink. Like it's right. that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Right. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing I did, which I didn't mention because I thought. <laughs> As I put in uh, Bitterman's Orange Citrate. Oh. Um, which is a kind of, it's a, it's, it's, it's like a, an orange 50-50 bar. If you remember going to your yeah. ice cream man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it adds a, a hint of vanilla, which may be why I'm getting more chocolate. But it really strikes me uh, as being um, those, those orange those chocolate oranges that you break and then oh yeah yeah terry's chocolate orange that's what this to me is like how bizarre yum Mm -hmm. i really think grand classico is kind of sweet personally oh okay maybe that's why i'm getting a lot there's a lot of sweetness Mm -hmm. i I think all the tempest fusion stuff is more syrupy than their counterparts tend Mm. to be so that's why I, I never substitute Grand Classico for Campari. Like, yeah, totally different. You are going to bring in more sugar. Yeah. yeah. Is there a? Do, do you use their um, cream de cacao and cream de mint? Absolutely. Okay, I was because I was wondering if there is if, if I'm missing something because I really like those. I, we talked about the grasshopper and uh, right. really really good. Um, but I don't I don't really have an I don't have an, a sense of. Is this how it's supposed to taste? Well, I, that I, sense. I think it is. I think those are great examples of both of those ingredients. Um, but they're super viscous. Like, they're very syrupy mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Um, which yeah, isn't they, always the but case. But the, the creme, I mean, I don't know of another creme de cacao or creme de menthe that has that much really strong, delicious, real-seeming chocolate yeah. and mint flavor. Like it and tastes like natural mint it. and it tastes like yeah. actual chocolate. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's just really well thought through. And so using them in um, very small quantities, what's the, is it the 20th century that has a tiny bit of creme de cacao? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like a gin drink and a lemon or something, but it's like 
just gorgeous. And it it's because chocolate is actually such a complicated flavor, mm. using a tiny amount of that flavor just makes everything else magic. It's like, I don't know what's going on, but it's good. You know? is, is that the uh, Tootsie Roll drink, Lance? What, what were you making that reminded you of a Tootsie Roll? Do you remember? Oh, um, I don't think that was it, but I know what you're talking about. I'll have to do my research. The Bronx yeah. always reminds me of Tootsie Rolls, but maybe that was what it did. What what is that the no that what's the one with the wine on the top? That's not the Bronx. That's a New uh, York sour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I totally remember. Yeah, it was very Tootsie Roll, but I don't remember which one it was. I could see it being the New York sour because um, I often pick up wine. The comp- complexities in wine are like the complexities in chocolate to me. So if you have sweet and wine, mm-hmm. then that Tootsie Roll Tootsie jump roll. seems natural. <laughs> and then there was a drink called the Tootsie Roll, of course. Wow. Back before the cocktail renaissance. I think it was Kahlua and orange juice. And sure. I what yeah. else was going on there. Probably vodka. Probably from the 70s. <laughs> no, no. I think it was. I think it was later. I okay. remember having them in the nineties. Uh huh. Which yes. were really the seventies of cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, in the seventies, you could still go to the old man bars and get, you know, rusty nails. And, although rusty nails are like ridiculously candy drinks. There's a whole bunch of these. You know, macho old man drinks that are super candy. Right. I don't know why the girly drink thing got applied because a lot of the the lady drinks are actually super sour, more than mm. citric. Uh, For example, li- uh, like I mean, the lemon drop. Uh, yes, mm. it's sickly, but it is a you know it is like lemon sour candies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cosmopolitan I think of as pretty sour. Uh, yeah, the, and and the uh, but then when you get to uh, the rusty nail, which is Drambuie and God, I can't even remember anymore. Bourbon, I can't remember what the rusty uh, nail is. isn't it scotch? Isn't rusty oh, nail scotch. scotch? Right, yeah, yeah, like that's right. like a blended scotch. Right, yeah, like Dewar's or something. Yeah, if you're lucky. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's got enough Drambuie that. It's it's candy and the the where the old fashioned got to with all that sugar in there and all the other stuff added, that's that's pretty candy like. Mm-hmm. But I guess if you're having if you were it's either that or a, a martini if you were not in the mood for a big alcohol hit you're gonna go the other direction. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I'm editing the uh, old fashioned episode now. I'm almost done, but like, I just keep being reminded of the uh what is it the wisconsin oh the morgan dollar episode about the about the brandy old-fashioned yeah so what part of wisconsin are you from yeah like just (laughs) grabbing the drink out of his bartender's hand practically just (laughs) yeah yeah and you know what that is a delicious thing and i actually i do like an old-fashioned full of garbage i like a classic improved whiskey cocktail Mm -hmm. um uh, but I also really like a garbage fashion, and I would go for it. A whiskey uh, salad. A whiskey salad, yeah, that's yeah, whiskey fruit salad. It's uh-huh. delicious. I'll go for that in a crappy bar. 
whiskey fruit cup. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so when I did my drink, I, I did actually flame my orange peel. After mm. we'd been talking about flamed orange peels, I just had to do it. And um, it it, it ha- adds that ineffable something. That's um, that's actually a skill I haven't really worked on much, um, mostly because I tend not to have much citrus in the house. Yeah. Um, but I keep it in the fridge. So I have a citrus drawer. The, the, the low drawer that people use for sure. meats ostensibly yeah. is our citrus drawer. So we just always have citrus in there and it holds on really well. Really? So I'd like, um, yeah. So when you, when you sh- cut the peels off, I just put them back in there. Um, because that's my I whole get... thing because in Colorado we're very dry. And yeah. as soon as you like take a swath off the peel, the whole thing just starts to shrivel up right you lose all the oils and everything Mm -hmm. when it's super cold from the fridge um you get a little less oil but not as much less oil as you would if you'd left it on the counter so i just keep it back in the fridge then you just have to inspect them and make sure nothing's looking moldy and Mm -hmm. if it is into the compost And when you're flaming you can warm it up with the flame before you actually spritz it yeah if it's really chilly you can otherwise i just take it out before i mix the drink by the time i'm at the end of mixing the drink it's warm enough right do you have a gas stove? No. Uh, see, the gas stove is the real advantage to flaming cocktails at home because you just get a, a little thing of uh, toothpicks, um, a little one of those little round containers of toothpicks, and you keep it in the drawer by the, the stove. So you just open the drawer, grab a toothpick, light it on the gas stove, and <laughs> flame the cocktail. So you're not getting oh. you're not getting any sulfur from a match or anything like right. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I get those. Um, I like uh, those little Japanese uh, toothpicks that have the the little grips at one end. Oh, sure. So you can kind of yeah. with your fingernails. Yeah. So yeah. if you don't flame it right on the first time, you don't have to use eight toothpicks to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I find you know being able to f- learning to flame drinks. Um, it's a fun process, uh, and it's, it makes for a, an enjoyable afternoon. Just. So do, sure do you use a like a vegetable peeler to get your or, yeah a paring knife like do you no do the... I, I I did do it with a knife but but Joe and Lance convinced me that in fact you get less pith and a better peel with mm. uh, with the uh, paring knife I mean with the uh, vegetable peeler so I just big oxo vegetable peeler yep but it it does seem like uh, for flaming in particular you kind of like that sort of more thick coin shape piece yeah you need yeah. a big you need a big like round piece once I think. you get the hang of it though you can do it with like even long skinny ones mm. no dinah you can't i think she's telling us we need to practice more and stop being you babies. need to flame more drinks <laughs> i'm just saying make more duke sons it's Have just seen... an adonis on the rocks with a flamed orange peel if you really want to see a nice flamed drink then when you're in the city when in san francisco go to absinthe and get their mexican coffee because they, I, I'm not, I, I can't do it justice, but they they shake sugar through a flame onto the mug, mm-hmm. and it, the whole bar is on fire. Yeah. It's well, just, and it's, it's cinnamon. Cinnamon, yeah. So, yeah, so the cinnamon actually sparks in the air, and then the burnt cinnamon falls into the drink. It's crazy. It's beautiful to watch. I, it I, is gorgeous to watch. I, I posted a video on Instagram, I think, um of a tiki drink i just sort of improvised but i did the you know once you squeeze the lime you have an uh, empty shell 
And yeah. you, you put that in the top of your tiki drink and you fill it with this Hamilton 151 and light that on fire and then sprinkle right. cinnamon and the cinnamon just does fireworks. <laughs> it looks so good. And uh, yeah. yeah, I really like making tiki drinks just to do crazy shit like that. <laughs> that's They're so fun. I mean, that's one of the things that makes tiki uh, so valuable, I think, in the whole bar world is it brings back this sense of don't take this too seriously, make it fun, make it a show, but not about the bartender. Well, yeah, it edges into that whole sort of Tom Cruise cocktail, like flair bartending, but, but it's not, it's not. Yeah. It's about the drink, not the person doing it. Yeah. Which is my, my issue with flair. I think my best flaming experience ever was, um, barring certain uh, Halloweens in the Castro, um, was uh, being at um, a uh, San Francisco Cocktail Week event when Martin Kate was doing a um, large punch. This was a big event. So he had a punch bowl, which was a small uh, wading pool, child's wading pool, in which he had built a volcano. The volcano... Uh, just sort of stuck up out of it, and the punch was all in the the uh, in the pool. So I'm sure the volcano was totally food safe. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it. Well, it was Martin, so it probably was. Um, so uh, you've got maybe 15 gallons of punch, right? Um, and over this, Martin is over the top of the volcano. Martin is flinging um, uh, cinnamon in the air and flaming it in the air (laughs) so that it's making the sparks over the volcano falling down into the the punch. Um, And I think he did cinnamon and and a couple other things. And then he stirs the punch and he serves it. It was perfectly balanced. It was a perfectly balanced cocktail. Anyone who can mix in those quantities, in those conditions, is a master of the can, art. Can you imagine the R&D phase of that? Like, come to my backyard. We'll, we'll barbecue and have some drinks. <laughs> yeah, right. When Martin says, come over, mm-hmm. you just say yes. <laughs> you're doing, um, uh, you're reading Petrosky right now. Yep. Lance, are you reading any cocktail books right now? I am not. I am dry, so yeah. to speak. So yes. to speak. So to speak. Yeah, I have a stack of stuff that I'm still working through. Um, I'm most of the way through actually reading every single page of uh, Paul Clark's book. See, um, I, which I, is great. Uh, is that the Cocktail Chronicles or what? It, what... Yeah. Yeah, that's a yep. great book. That's a great book. Really solid. I've been using it actually as a valuable reference along with, as ever, David Wondrick, um, as I've been doing writing this stuff for Elemental Cocktails. Right. Um, yeah, actually, the that book is challenging, like, for the top of the list. Um, I keep Morgenthaler's book. Like, I gift that to anybody. That yeah. Mor- Morgenthaler's book, as far as, like, technique and, like, doing stuff for yourself and making really solid drinks, I think the bar book yeah. is just the best thing out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good balance because it, it, you, if you're just wanting to set up or if you want to expand, it works in both those environments. Yeah, the, right. just last night um, we did a 
cook and drink sort of sleepover party with our friends. So like just the two couples, mm-hmm. uh, we go to their house yeah. and um, we had lasagna with homemade noodles and mm. pork roast and all this stuff. And they just redid their basement and have a wet bar installed. So I brought oh. them, you know, six bottles and g- oh. gave them a Boston shaker from Cocktail Kingdom and stuff like that. So nice. Because they're more sort of wine drinker Mm -hmm. he makes wine he actually has Mm. grapes in his backyard and makes his own wine wow and uh, you gotta make these guys an adonis that's a good point actually but so i was teaching them about the negroni slash americano slash spagliato splash you know all the things you can make with these six bottles and so you know we got pretty tore up but That's my favorite thing to do, though, is like uh, I've another set of friends had their housewarming party and I just brought them like a kit for stirred cocktails. Like, this is what yeah. you need. Here's your bar spoon. Here's your mixing glass. Right. And here's Morgenthaler's book. Like, I right. think I think in both cases I gifted Morgenthaler's book because yeah. it teaches you sort of techniques as well as drinks. Right. And, and I think. It's kind of unique in that way. Well, and as Lance was saying, it's it's got something for wherever your skill level is, you're going to find something new that's valuable to you out of it. There's going to be some new angle that you go, oh, wait, I hadn't thought about doing that. And that makes it much easier. Or even just technique. I mean, you, you yeah. buy these. If you're like me, you buy all these little tools and you don't necessarily use them. But then that book tells you what they're, what they're supposed to be used for as well as alternates so that you don't have to buy every single little tool yeah. well, and that's actually something that came up as i was editing the old-fashioned is like you were talking about how you still sort of hold the spoon and stir with the spoon in your hand versus jim Meehan on youtube doing his little finger flick and all that stuff spinny spoon yeah yeah i i literally have well i have a cocktail spoon but i prefer to use a teaspoon i don't know why i'm just <laughs> I'm just more, you, I don't know. Well, you're tall and you have a low counter, so you can actually see what you're doing. The angle is not bad for you to do that because you don't have to have a bar that's at guest height. I also spent all my money on the mixing glass, so I can't afford <laughs> to parse them. Yeah, like but a $70 mixing glass or something. No, they're down to like $30 now. The Uri glasses are becoming more and more affordable. Not when I buy them. You can do this in a pint glass, people crazy expensive but it's beautiful and then you buy the matching thing i'm i'm gay so we we do so that. get a fucking bar spoon and be gay with your bar spoon <laughs> gay bar spoon I have yeah, but then I'll, I'll buy like i'll buy like five of them because i want the one with the spinny handle and then i want the one with the spear on the end and i also want the one with the hammer on the end because they're specific sure yeah and, and you then can, i'll work on my spinning you can get different oh, oh. colors for each one Get no, the... <laughs> I'm I am silver. I I'm I'm a I'm a purist as far. As I thought you were I mean, going I, copper these days. I have the I have the copper shaker and I have the copper uh, jigger, but I think a spoon. I don't know why, but I think a spoon <laughs> should be silver. <laughs> I don't. And he made the cocktail come it, out. Jake knows. Doesn't doesn't need to make any logical sense. But I think a, I think like I'll, I'll go to this is going to be on my tombstone. I think a cocktail spoon should be silver. Well, 
So it was not, said. Certainly not black. <laughs> We've agreed that those black stuff is just that's. Yeah, I, I still hate the black stuff. No, it's dumb. Wait, people are doing. Oh, is this the new dark Cock- tinted like goth? The goth barware. Yeah, Cock- Cocktail Kingdom has a new sort. Of, it's supposed to be like gunmetal black, but it's not, and it's it, it doesn't I look mean, good. Bars are already dark. How are you going to find anything? <laughs> well, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I think it's so you can pretend that your cocktail has been made by magic instead of the human standing in front of you using some. Well, oh, it is kind of wizardy. It is kind of wizardy. The case, they, they have the ones with the skull on the on the end with the little jewel eyes, though. Yeah. Which we also talked about in the old fashioned episode. We kind of circle back on things a lot because we drink. We do. Morticus <laughs> Leviosa, and there's a cocktail. Yeah, but I wanted to go. So, just I know we're we're way long on time, but the the thing I wanted to point or ask about was so we are all we all make cocktails at home for both ourselves and our friends, and in Jake's case, and probably Dinah, not me so much. You also go to other people's houses and you bring your cocktails and the cocktail fixings and the cocktail making things. So how, how does that happen? Why are we interested in making cocktails? Because I think like Jake said, the, his friend now has a wet bar. Um, but how often are they going to be down there making up Negronis to, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I also, I mean, I've got a lot of friends who are, who like cocktails are interested in cocktails. They don't make them. Right. They're not interested in making them or if they are, so what what's the what's the deal? Why do why do we make Before I answer that, I'll just point out that my friends, they make wine. He also makes bubbly wine and cider, hard cider. So they installed a kegerator and they have three taps. And one is bubbly wine, one is hard cider, and one is soda water, wow. which is genius. That's... Oh, soda water. Yeah. Um so that's what they're going to be down there drinking. Like they're going to, they're not going to be making cocktails as much as I do. Yeah. Right. I mean, if I had a, I mean, I, I could see turning my kitchen into wet bar as much as I use my kitchen. I sure. use it much more. For making you drinks. live in San Francisco. <laughs> right. I order everything in. I'm not, I'm not going to make dinner when I can just get better dinner by walking a block. Frankly, I don't know. I've tasted your carnitas. I'm not sure you can get better than those. Uh, but still, carnitas is you stick a big honk of pork in a stove for several hours. You don't. It's not really cooking. <laughs> I'm just saying, like all. Also, you can make carnitas in a pre- uh, yeah pressure cooker, so you can just have a hot plate. Like right, if, and if and you have an have induction those... hot plate, you can do a pressure cooker and make exactly. carnitas. Exactly. So. so I could I could use all of this space to make to make cocktails instead of like prepping and pie pie takes pie is stupid anyway <laughs> I, it, it, have you ever tried to make pie yeah it's like it's every surface is covered with pie stuff yeah exactly it's and then you end up with a pie it's worthless just, it's really not worth worthless. It's not worthwhile but anyway so so why are uh, we so, like this why Di- are we like Di- Dino, what are what are your thoughts there so i I like getting to make it just the way I like it. Um, I like having the flexibility to vary the proof, which is still regrettably a lot of work in a bar. Getting a low proof drink at a bar is still really too hard. It shouldn't be that hard, but it is. Um, And uh, I like tasting new things. 
It's a really easy way to have immediate gratification from playing with new ingredients. Um, and, you know, obviously it is an excuse to buy special things <laughs> that make you happy. Yep. <laughs> so that's good. I, I totally agree specifically with your last two points. I love experimentation <laughs> and I love consumerism. Uh <laughs> I'm going to say for me, it's a couple things. One is I like ceremony. I like th there's a lot of steps involved. There's a lot of proper ways of doing things. And I like I tend to like rules. So, for example, you know, the things that you shake and the things that you stir mm -hmm. and the the how to how to keep your ice clear and or unflavored by covering it in the freezer and i i enjoy all of those little stupid asinine anal retentive things secondly is that it becomes about me as opposed to the ingredients so like if you're pouring wine everybody's fascinated by the wine oh where did this wine come yes. from this yes. is a really good wine where if i'm making cocktails suddenly ooh, you made a good cocktail how what it did you use those bitters? What right. did you do to make this special? How did you so come I, up with little, this? Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit about me. No, so, absolutely. That's uh, two weeks ago. We went to a dinner party uh, with basically internet friends. So, like, we knew nobody there. Um, and in I person. Yeah, in real life. We didn't actually. And even as in terms of internet friends, there was one of those. And, like, everybody okay. else was a stranger. Um, and I took a batch cocktail that I totally improvised and it was a whiskey drink and it had some stuff in it, but yeah, I, I took a bottle of this cocktail and everybody that came into the party was offered a, you know, pour from this bottle. So mm -hmm. I, I was the guy that like started the party for everybody. So like that felt really good to me and yeah. like, mm -hmm. that's, and, and it's, you know, the skill development too. Yes. Like, for a while, I was yeah. into like woodworking, and it's the same kind of feel. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. It it and also um, I've introduced people to cocktails that they now go hunt for. Right. right. So in in a way, I'm the the cocktail concierge. I'm like, do you do you know what's in an aviation? Do you know mm -hmm. what like or oh, yeah. you hate gin, but have you ever had blah? Right. Yeah. Um, Again, try, just try this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even and even if they don't like it, at least I I feel like I'm helping them along the way or something yeah i, I, I like... love the role of educator like yeah because we've gone so deep into this realm like we know things that normal people don't know and also yeah. because we're working with alcohol as the evening progresses and you're serving them more drinks everybody gets more jovial and they want to try or they're asking you questions and i i for, so for me i think it's a couple things mostly it's ego because <laughs> I, I enjoy making these things for people, um, but it, but it's transitory. So it's not like I'm spending a lot of time doing something or it's got to like, mm -hmm. I made this present just for you. Right. It's, right. it's more like everyone enjoys this drink and I want you to enjoy it as well. But I spent time. I measured it out. I'm very careful about it. This glass is important as well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> all, all of those little things. So and I and I wonder, are, are people finding those satisfactions probably through other means and or they have kids and we don't um <laughs> right yeah pretty yeah, think, pretty important that. factor i think <laughs> but, but being a host that aspect of finding the right thing to make this person happy that's a fun challenge 
Mm -hmm. um, to get their senses excited, Mm -hmm. um, to get their brain excited about the, you know, the, the eclectic ingredients, whatever, that's a really engaging challenge. And it's really personal. And I, I see that in, um, the motivation for some of my favorite bartenders is that how can I make this person have an exceptional experience? Even that's a very transitory, non-important little thing that right. something really nice happened. Hospitality is really important. There. And yeah. real hospitality is... You know, something not everybody experiences all the time. So when you can offer it to somebody, it means something. And, you know, it feels good to both parties. Yeah. It's also a sense of discovery, I think, because if people tend to think of cocktails only as a vodka martini, and then you give them something that says, no, but it can be sweet and bitter and bubbly and citrusy, you know, all of the things that a cocktail can be, which is... I mean, I can't even think of all the things that a cocktail can be and making them realize, oh, I, this is a whole world that I wasn't privy to previously. And this one drink is suddenly like, yeah, I didn't know it's this the existed. wardrobe. You can take them to Narnia. You're right through the door. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. All right, folks, let's call it. This is great. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been a blast. Yeah, we we loved having you, and I think it really added some knowledge because we we're just pulling stuff out our ass all the time. So yeah. <laughs> it, it, you generally pull it from good sources. Generally, look it up. I there are, there are almost no moments where I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, uh, we've gotten a few things entirely wrong, but. <laughs> So so has Wondrick, so it's okay. It's true. He it's corrects true. it. Yeah. And he corrects it faster than anyone else, and usually he or I find it. <laughs> I haven't corrected him. Let me just make that clear. I've corrected myself. Yeah. By the like, uh, oh God, I just realized I've screwed that up. Let me let me fix that. Um but I like David yeah, a lot. He actually responds on Twitter and stuff like that. he's really open and available he's a good egg he's a really good egg and thank goodness for him because when i read stuff from him i can generally just trust it and go from it well you know he's doing the research yeah yeah i mean you have to look back when you're looking at the esquire stuff some of that's really old but yeah it's like these are checking the latest issue from the latest version of imbibe you're okay yeah (laughs) i actually love his old esquire stuff just because you can tell he's like finding his legs and like he's he's being a bit of a showboat sometimes (laughs) yeah yep all right thanks guys thanks dinah lance have a good sunday thank you bye bye thank you oh that's nice